Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Chris Chinchilla. How is everybody? <laughs> I guess we're probably all feeling somewhat the same. I'm tired today. It's, uh, in fact, uh, I have one of my first articles is maybe related to this, but uh, I'm kind of weary. Uh, it's all getting a bit the same, isn't it? Um, I did promise I was going to try and make this show a... Um, a uh, I don't even know what word to use anymore. A COVID-19 free zone. It's getting harder and harder. There's <laughs> not much else to talk about sometimes. Um, I've got a few uh, bits of content around the topic. I'll try to use them to discuss other factors and not get too bogged down. But um, it's getting hard, I must admit. Uh, I have an interview this week with Troy Murray of Breaker. Um, There's a little bit of a follow-up to an interview I did a couple of years ago um, from South by Southwest with uh, Zach of Singularity DTV, which was a um, decentralized, uh, etc., um, kind of platform for video producers, I guess, like a decentralized YouTube plus YouTube studio kind of thing. And uh, Breaker is a follow-on from that. It's kind of the... Um, or the um, the delivery of the content in some ways um, actually looks reasonably polished. I, I hope to try a hands-on with it soon. There are beta versions of applications for a variety of platforms and you can pay for uh, the content you consume in a variety of different ways. Um, anyway, we'll dig into more detail on that with the interview. So stay on the show for that. Let's begin with some links. Okay, let's get all the uh, COVID content out of the way first. <laughs> first up, and I kind of referenced this in the introduction, this is an article uh, from Wired. I seem to have groupings of various sites um, this week. I don't know, just where I've been reading, I suppose, or what's attracted my attention. This is from Eleanor Morgan, and yeah, the title kind of says it all. Coronavirus is totally screwing up our sleep, and here's how to fix it. Uh, I was glad to hear I wasn't the only person who seems to be... Uh, tired recently um it's actually got a little bit better the past couple of days for various reasons we've been very lucky here in berlin that it's been sunny most of the time which helps your energy it also means you wake up earlier but that's not necessarily a uh, a problem per se um just yeah waking up too early all the time feeling a little weary uh, there's, I suppose, uh, there's various reasons for this, and this is what the article goes into. There are some reasons that, due to the shifting seasons, of course, but also there are things like um, this constant kind of uh, subliminal worrying about things, um, the lack of change, the lack of uh, structure in some of your schedules is one, the uh, lack of separation in your kind of home environment. Um, and there's been plenty of articles for some time on trying to make your bedroom a, a place of um, relaxation. But if that's the only place you can also work in, then you're kind of spending all your time in this one room. It's hard to separate out your, your life and, and think of it as a relaxing place again. So lots of little things like that. Now, pertaining to the how to solve it, there's not necessarily any new advice here. There are things like, yes, trying to stick to a schedule. Do not be tempted to nap and sleep and sit around all day if possible. It's impossible for everybody right now. 
Um, so try to maintain as much structure and normal rhythms as possible. Also watching what you eat. Again, um, pretty easy to lax into, sorry, to lapse into bad eating habits. I actually heard that apparently New York City in the past couple of weeks, the sales of junk food went through the roof. <laughs> you know, it's comfort eating, but it's generally food that makes you not sleep very well. And this is strange because yesterday I had a slightly uh, uh, bad eating day. I had burger for lunch and I was a bit junk fooding and I did sleep very well. So maybe they're related. So who knows? Hard to say. I think it's kind of more long term maybe than a one off day, but you sort of know what I mean. Your body sometimes feeds back to you with things that it didn't necessarily like. And I suppose one of the biggest ones that I've, I have actually found uh, useful of just reading articles like this and speaking to friends and knowing that you're not alone. You're not alone in feeling worried. You're not alone in having a problem right now. Um, I don't necessarily know that's a very concrete resolution, but I suppose it make you feel better about it and not feel so bad about it. And hopefully that reduces that sort of low-level stress and you do sleep better in the long run. Um, so we shall see, I suppose. Next one, somewhat related again. <laughs> I do apologize. We'll, we'll change the subject soon. Uh, this is from ZDNet, from Daphne Le Prince Ringeau. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that name. I'm going for the French pronunciation. You can't stop how data centers are coping with this crisis. This is actually specifically focusing on a UK data centers, which is nice. Um, and of course, in this increased demand for online services, um, there are certain services that have to keep running to facilitate that. And whilst data centers are not necessarily high employee zones, um, there are certain people that have to go there to fix things, to install things, to check things. Um, they tend to be quite large. So I'm guessing social distancing is uh, easy-ish. Well, sometimes you might have jobs that require more than one person. I think one of the bigger challenges they mentioned here was the installation uh, the creation and installation of a data center involves lots of people from who knows where um, to come and build them, and we probably need them more than ever right now. Um, and how do you handle that? And I suppose one of the lucky things, com comparing, say, a, a data center to a factory or a, or a, a grocery wholesaler, is that these tend to be fairly well-paid, highly, highly skilled workers, so they tend to be looked after better, which... I'm casting no kind of judgment on the, the that statement. Um, just a, an unfortunate fact. Um, and uh, we could probably say that people working in the food industry um, and maybe logistics, depending what they are logisticking, they are transporting, um, are possibly more valuable. But, uh, yeah, that's a kind of bigger, bigger discussion than I necessarily have the expertise or time to go into right now. But... Um, yeah, so they tend to be better looked after and they have better conditions, I suppose, is the argument there. Um, and then, yeah, if there are power issues, you have to call in external parties, things like that. How do you keep these things going when people really need them the most? Uh, I think this this links quite nicely to the uh, link I mentioned last week on the way that uh, service, um, service, what's the word, service, requirements and service bus service delivery have changed over the past couple of months so now um it doesn't necessarily affect uh data centers too much maybe but how that the demand for internet is now less about uh, a handful of big 
consumers, but lots and lots of small consumers. And handling that kind of very spiky demand has meant that they've had to probably change the setup too. So there are people there attempting to do that for you. And they also mention, of course, uh, one of the other bigger problems right now of uh, logistics, supply and demand for parts. Northern Italy, for example, is a big manufacturer of um, UPSs, uh, uninterruptible power supplies, and uh, that's hard to get those right now. Uh, parts of Asia, of course, were in lockdown for some time. Those parts are backlogged. So things they might need to keep these services running are also hard to get hold of. So there's kind of lots of little factors there to think about in keeping these running. These sort of, I think data centers are an interesting beast because we're using them all the time, but we never see them really. And finally, in this topic, this is one of the most fascinating stories from the past few weeks and has been uh, the cause of many memes as well. This is also from Wired, from James Temperton, and this is covering the uh, strange um, correlation some have been making between the virus and 5G. Uh, This was not covered in the conference that I was at in November, that's for sure. Although, strangely, the source of this correlation is older than you might think. It actually goes back to January uh, from Belgium, quite strangely, of an interview with a, with a doctor, not necessarily even a specialist doctor, talking about the crisis long before Europe had even paid attention to it, noticing the, um, the fact that, or mentioning, not necessarily noticing, well, he was noticing, but mentioning the fact that Wuhan were... It started, in quote marks, um, was a, a large manufacturer of 5G um, equipment. I mean, it's a sort of strange correlation to draw. Um, and I guess if you really wanted to say that the, the devices were infected, I doubt that many have, were installed since January. I'm, I'm not sure. It's hard to say. Um, and, of course, they sit in storage and shipped around a lot. I don't know. You could start to see why someone might draw that correlation. It's an interesting one. And then strangely, this one small interview with a, a small outlet in a small country that has since been deleted sparked this kind of bizarre um, outbreak, if you forgive the, the word, of um, of feeling that this was true, uh, involving people vandalising um, infrastructure. And of course... You would probably immediately start thinking, how does anyone even know what it looks like? Uh, and yes, um, people have been attacking non-5G infrastructure. I heard uh, an anecdote from a service engineer who actually said they are getting abuse from some people in some countries. There's certain countries that are doing this more than others um, about the fact that they're servicing infrastructure, which wasn't even 5G. They have actually also been attacking 2G, 3G um, equipment. So yeah, I mean, it's not like this equipment has a... a kind of recognisable um, factor to most people to even know what they're even vandalising. So, yeah, it, it kind of relates a little bit to the last story. In times when we need this infrastructure, people are actually somewhat destroying some of it as well. Um, and I think uh, someone I heard somewhere made a, a good kind of point to, to, to uh, wow, I don't necessarily know if you, if you, I think everyone knows that sometimes when you try to justify someone just justify a reason to someone with a very strong opinion it's difficult but um you know that 5g was allowing people to uh visit in quote marks their sick relatives in hospitals and things like that and if you're destroying this that won't be possible 
um, and hope that that human factor means that um, people see that this is kind of a, uh, an unhelpful endeavour and not even necessarily with any need. But anyway, um, some of my friends and uh, people I know have had far harsher things to say, but I try to remain pragmatic about these things. Um, but yeah, crazy times, crazy times. Okay, now time for something completely different. This is an article from Conta magazine from Susan D'Agostino uh, about Donald Knuth. I'm quite sure how to pronounce his name. Donald Knuth was the creator of Tech, Tex, T-E-X, um, also part of LaTeX, or LaTeX, or whatever you want to pronounce it. It's kind of um, formatting language uh, for for academic papers predominantly, but I actually have used it as well for other things. I quite like it. It's almost like CSS for print, if you'd like to think of it like that. And um, this is quite a nice article about this ageing computer programmer who loves to tell stories and he cannot stop writing books and he's been working on this magnum opus of his. Hang on, I'll find the title. The Art of Computer Programming. He's been working on it forever, like... I think it might be one of these things that he never actually finishes and there's several volumes of it and some have sort of been released and some are still in progress and and it's kind of this um, uh, book about programming from a creative perspective which really appeals to me actually, this aspect of uh, thinking of, uh, of programming in different ways than just this kind of very engineer-focused practical way. Um, so it sounds quite a wonderful thing. Um, and I guess this, you know, comes from a person who created something that you could do nice layout that he never expected anybody to use. So it kind of makes sense. And his mind uh, has these correlations of ideas, maybe. And he's also a big believer in telling stories, which is something I try to do with my work. It's sometimes difficult. Um, you don't always have the time. You don't always have the inclination from your side, from a client side from a team side as well, but it's something I try to figure out how to do. I've had numerous to-dos and ideas on my list for some time about this kind of uh, explaining programming through poetry or other creative pursuits. And is there even an appetite for that? This is the interesting point. It's one of these sorts of things that people like myself can uh, can bestow the virtues of, but is anyone interested is the, is the harder question and are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for someone else is, is a hard question to answer sometimes. Anyway, this is a very nice article. I enjoyed reading it, and I'm definitely going to do some more digging into some of his work um, and remember him every time I use uh, LaTeX, I suppose, as well. <laughs> There's a post here from uh, One Zero from um, Michael McWhorters. Um, this is actually one of these articles I tend to not mention very much, but I found it quite useful to me. as a list of design apps for the Mac that the writer tried and uh, gives some feedback on. And there are some um, some ones here that you're probably familiar with, some that are not necessarily really about design, but just useful for a designer, I suppose. But there's actually a few in here that I was not familiar with, and I am quite looking forward to digging into um, a bit more. And also they mentioned some that I already like to use as well, like uh, MindNode, for example. So if you're looking for some new inspiration on some applications to use in your Mac to help your work process, designer or not, or professional or uh, aspiring designer, then have a look. Uh, hopefully you'll find something useful there. Let me know if you do. Okay, definitely coming out of the uh, technology bubble now. And this was a, a post that popped up into my feed that is not really particularly related to anything I normally talk about, but... I found it such an interesting read. This is from a Rolling Stone, from Jordan Runta, and it's an article called, and this again is a fairly self-explanatory title, 
30 fascinating early bands of musical legends. And yeah, that's basically 30 stories of uh, famous musicians now, some I'm not so familiar with than others, and what they did before, uh, including some of my highlights, Michael Bolton's death metal phase. Um, it also tells stories of Led Zeppelin. Actually, I knew that Led Zeppelin were pretty well-known session musicians long before they actually played in Led Zeppelin. Um, it talks about Reginald Dwight, a.k.a. Elton John, and his earlier acts. He actually, um, I think that was mentioned in the, the recent Rocketman film in, in sort of dramatised way. Uh, and actually, it's interesting to see how many artists kind of had bands before they were famous that taught them the ropes. Um, bands where they weren't necessarily doing anything particularly original, but they were good and they were solid and they toured with lots of uh, well-known acts and then kind of learn the tricks of the trade to then do their own career. That seemed to be something that popped up quite a lot. But yeah, some really fascinating stories here. And I loved reading this on the weekend morning, I think, whilst having coffee in bed on Saturday or Sunday. So hopefully you'll do the same. And I'd love to hear your favourite story too. And finally, an article from Harry Guinness in the New York Times, How to Edit Your Own Writing. Um, most of these tips I uh, sort of were sort of ones I followed already, but um, there's a nice, concise, which is very appropriate for an article on editing, roundup of how to edit your own work, how to criticise yourself, the most obvious places to begin to do that, which is often the hardest thing to do when you're not used to it, is self-criticising and self-cutting. So have a look. I think you'll find it helpful. That was my links for the week. And now here is my interview with Troy Murray of Breaker. Troy Murray, I am, I run strategy at uh, Breaker and I also do, um, I'm the uh, supervisor of the Singles DAO Foundation and I'm the co-technical architect of the Singles DAO. Okay. And so what is Breaker? I mean, I previously spoke with uh, Singular DTV um, a few years back which was yeah. a sort of um, film, movie, assets, and blockchain kind of provenance platform, if I got that yeah, very, so- very brief summary correct. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, okay, so well, Singular yeah. DTV is still around. It's yep. kind of the mothership of the whole uh, ecosystem. Breaker mm-hmm. is a... Um, well, it's got its fingers in a bunch of stuff, but one of the, the, one of the main ones in in respect to the singles DAO is that it's a um, high level content portal for um, films, a lot mainly indie films on uh, the protocol. Uh, And it also works as a facilitator for um, the traditional financial system um, linking into the blockchain ecosystem. So maybe for people who don't know, let's explain what a DAO is and then what Singles DAO is specifically on top of that. Yeah, so uh, DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. Um, There's a lot of different ways to look at what specifically a DAO is. It's kind of a nebulous um, idea. So our DAO um, specifically revolves around allowing the community to govern the district, the media distribution protocol, which is a torrent network of peer-to-peer torrents for any type of media, any type of digital media you can think of. 
And actually, this is interesting. I have often wondered with uh, blockchain projects or shall we say decentralized something rather projects. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there was always this protocol that existed for some time and still exists that was, was and is relatively successful, torrents. <laughs> and I always wondered why people almost seem to forget that they existed. Uh, I actually came across a blog post. I don't know if it was anything to do with you guys. Um, someone talking about this, about monetizing uh, torrents in some way, shape or form. I don't know if they were connected with you because it sounds somewhat similar, but it's actually quite an interesting idea. You know, leveraging something that is decentralized, has existed for some time, uh, there's a lot of tooling around it and adding just that little bit on top to kind of add the benefits of blockchain without necessarily having all the issues of uh, that blockchain currently has. Is that maybe a relatively good, good sort of summary yeah. of what you were trying to do with those technologies? Yeah, um, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the protocol of BitTorrent, I mean, it is probably I think it's the first successful decentralized protocol ever, and then the next one would actually be probably Bitcoin. So it's interesting that people didn't uh, originally kind of try to marry the two um, at the get go. I think it's a little bit harder with Bitcoin because you can't actually do hashes to the addresses to the bitcoin addresses where because of the smart contract system of ethereum you can you can hash torrents to wallets which is what we do and so by doing that you allow for a torrent to be connected to an artist or a production company or i mean we don't do this but you could do it uh an investor right in mm-hmm. into a into a specific type of media um, and so by, by leveraging the most power, the most successful decentralized network ever, um, we are able to do what we do and we're probably going to be able to open it up to other forms of digital, not, not just media, but mm. other types of anything you can use a torrent for. Right. So right now we're kind of focused on, um, video and, uh, music, but, you know, I can envision a future in which right now we're working with a, uh, uh, un, I don't want to give out the name of the artist because I don't think it's public yet, but they're, they're working on creating a digital VR world for mm-hmm. their music. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be able to distribute that uh, VR world through the torrent, uh, distribution network. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing things like that, uh, are on the roadmap. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you actually look back at the history of, uh, torrents, one of the first, like one of the more successful, uh, UIs that was built on top of the BitTorrent network was, uh, this thing called Popcorn Time. Mm-hmm. And back in 2014, I actually reached Sounds out to the vaguely popcorn. familiar, actually. Yeah, I didn't realize that's what it was, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Popcorn Time, they, they kind of threw it. It was like the Napster of movies, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it was a very easy, uh, UI you could download and it worked just like Netflix. And you could watch movies by streaming them through torrents, which mm-hmm. was the big breakthrough that they had where you could take a torrent and stream it um, onto a device. And so I actually reached out to the team back in 2014 and I asked them if they wanted to connect uh, Bitcoin wallets into their into their uh, um, into their UI. And they got back to me very quickly and they said, if we were to do that, we would be sued to all kingdom come. And, um, 
it's interesting because if you look at what we have now, um, the first prototypes of what we actually built were based on popcorn time. <laughs> and we just, we, what we did was we just kind of flipped it and made it so that uh, artists could use it then. And they were connected to Ethereum wallets. Mm. But the, it, if you look at the, the progression, um, we've been moving towards this spa- this way um, before even Ethereum or all this stuff. It, ju- it just, to me, feels like the whole kind of digital world is kind of moving in that way mm-hmm. and making these decentralized protocols. And so, um, yeah, it's exciting. Personally, I find it extremely exciting. Who are they afraid of being sued by? Studios or? The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, the MPAA uh, yeah. would have probably come down on them pretty hard, even though it was a distribute, it was an open source yeah. UI built on top of the protocol. They, they were in um, contact with people in Hollywood and, People they were they were told they needed to shut down immediately, but the the source code was all put out there. And then if if we had figured out a way, if they had, if they had decided to monetize it in any way, then they would have gotten into a lot of trouble. Okay. But I uh, mean, there's no way to yeah yeah. But there's no way to if someone were to go in there and do it, there's no way to really stop it because it's all open source. So I don't know. I'm still waiting for someone to actually do it, just and and just drop it and just and disappear. But um, understandably, I, I mean, if you were to ever, if, if people were to ever find out who you were, it yeah. would be, it'd be bad. So with with uh, Breaker, it's artists upload, and then the the payment is direct to them. I guess is that how you're getting around that, or yeah, I, well, okay. um, I mean, with ours, it's voluntary, right? We're <laughs> allowing the artists to come in and share their content. We're, we're making a legal version of it. So um, it's trying to leverage all that and make it legal, essentially, and not not doing it in the shadows of the internet. Okay. But, I mean, I see uh, on the website, I see snapshots of what I think are independent artists, but I also see... Um, well, I'm seeing some some screen some uh, posters here of like older classic films as well. So, are you mixing together some of the kind of older sources, or are they out of copyright, or like how are you getting around that ability for people to to torrent like we used to, but legally? Yeah. So uh, some of those older ones, they're actually. Um they're out of copyright okay. exactly and we can just upload them and we don't we don't technically sell them we just add them to the network so if you go on there you can download them for free we seed it to the network okay. um it's just a way to like give more content to the ecosystem okay. essentially and if independent artist x seeds but says i want um i don't know 0.01 f per play then that's up to them. That's their parameters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so they set the parameters on the cost of the transaction okay. um, for what they want to get. And then we take a, a small cut of that. And then the protocol uh, DAO actually will take a small, a very small cut according to what the parameters of the DAO are set for. And is that used for something in particular, that, that cut? Yeah, so that cut actually goes specific, goes into the DAO treasury, which the treasury is controlled by the participants of the DAO, which is the community who uh, run the DAO. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those that those um, 
that can then be used for uh, upgrades to the protocol. Mm -hmm. um, it can be used for if the DAO wants to finance a project that mm -hmm. will be distributed. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, there's a lot of different things, but the it's mainly just so that you can do upgrades for the protocol. The mm -hmm. idea is that the protocol is um, a self self adaptive, mm -hmm. so that it there is no need for outside funding. It can self fund itself. So, like if you think about uh, HTML, right? There's a group of people that put money into this organization and it's all nonprofit and there's no way for them to finance themselves. So they, they are dependent upon that. But I mean, we've gotten all the way to HTML five. The idea is that this is a, a self-sustaining protocol. So there is an internal and en uh, monetary engine that it, that it will survive no matter, even if, even if there's no one in control, no one giving it money. Okay. Now, one of the, Bigger issues at the moment with distributed applications, decentralized applications has been user experience. I mean, a lot of it, especially from the wallet perspective, is still a little fiddly. Um, mm. You have on the website, you have some great screenshots of mobile applications and, and things like that, making it kind of look like some familiar platforms, shall we say. Um, how far along that path are you to, to sort of making an experience that the majority of people could could use yeah i think um so the user experience um in when it comes to actually being a portal ui on top of the protocol uh ours is i think extremely good um and mainly because that we 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 tap into the traditional finance world so people don't have to have wallets connected to it they can just download it put in their credit card and then uh, we do the, we do the transaction. So if you pay with a credit card, then we put it into crypto and then we filter it. Um, there's a lot of overhead on that. And that's why the, the breaker UI actually takes a larger cut than, um, uh, if a, a strictly, uh, native crypto UI. But if you look at, um, strictly native crypto portals, um, I think that there's been a lot of progress in, uh, UI. So managing your keys, I think there's way, I think there's been a lot of progress in that, which is the big one. Um, I think uh, like a system like Fortmatic has done a really, really good job at being able to uh, manage that for people who might not be crypto heads. Um, so I, I, I personally believe that that's really kind of going in the, in a positive direction. Um, I don't think we've seen the, the killer app for it yet, but I think that there's been amazing developments in um, the progress for sure. And is the, the, the protocol and the app live? Are people using it right now on both sides? Yeah. So the protocol is technically live. The DAO is not live. So if the DAO, actually I'm about to, uh, we're about to launch the test net for the DAO today, but um so we're looking at hopefully late May release of the DAO, which is the DAO app. Um, but the, the protocol does exist. It works. The hashing mechanism is all there. Uh, we are working on open sourcing it, uh, which requires a lot of um, documentation on our end. So we're working through all the documentation of how all the back end works. But the app, the, the, the portal um, is live. Break, you can download the Breaker app right now. Um, you can also download the app in the Google Play Store and the uh, Apple's, Apple 
library, whatever it's called, their app store. <laughs> so I was mostly interested because I was interested to know when you mentioned that you kind of have the option of crypto and then traditional finance for any of the uh, interactions where people have paid in quote marks, has it been a majority crypto or has it been a majority traditional payment methods? Um, I I don't know the exact numbers, but I believe it's been more in the traditional monetary. Mm. It hasn't been in crypto. Um, and I think the reason for that is that we haven't um, – we haven't advertised the portal to crypto heads. We advertise more to the independent film world mm -hmm. and what they know is uh, paying a credit card. But yeah. uh, as we open up the protocol and we open up and we open source the UI so that anyone can build a portal, I think we're going to have more crypto heads moving into it mm -hmm. because they'll be able to use it in any way they want, yeah. um, which is what most crypto people are kind of into where they get to play around with an open source UI and create new environments for consumers. And in theory, I guess you could start to do things like um, micropayments on videos via MetaMask and things like that, maybe. Um, oh, I know oh, a few yeah, 100%. companies have tried this in the past and it hasn't been 100% successful with micropayments. But I mean, sometimes some people are too early and then they set the the way for people to come along later. Um, I think a I think a lot of the original micropayment systems were never built on crypto, and there, the there overhead was, uh, one out of here, the Satoshi Pay, which I I'm one hundred percent sure if they're actually still going or not, but <laughs> I haven't heard much from them for a while. But yeah, I think another problem with the micropayment systems are the scaling issues. Mm. So. Um, if you were to really get a successful micropayment um, system going, the 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 payments themselves would end up getting increased because we just don't have scaling done. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. But you could you could I have looked into this and I thought about you could build one on a zk snark, okay. which would allow for a really high throughput. But I we haven't dove yeah. that deep yeah. into it yet. Now. For the kind of majority audience, I mean, one of the you already sort of alluded to it earlier that sometimes the problem with starting new media platforms is you kind of have to have this balancing act of very um, worthy independent content and content that people actually know uh, and want to consume, whether you kind of like that or not. Um, and this has often been the downfall of some of these uh, alternatives to some of the mainstream options. Uh, I can see you've got, for example, um, a profile of Trojan Records, which actually I think I might watch. That's an excuse to actually try the platform. <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, Reggae and Scar, so I oh, may cool. actually have a look at that. Um, but are there any other artists who are who are using uh, Breaker exclusively or as part of some other offering that um, are bringing people to the platform, bringing consumers to I the platform? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest artist we had doing stuff like that was Grammatic, who's a okay, EDM yeah. artist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're actively um, searching for artists to use the platform. I think when we release the open source UI, the idea mm -hmm. will be to kind of really go after more tech savvy artists mm -hmm. who can create their. We call it like a TV studio in a box. Mm -hmm. So you'll be able to create your own uh, bespoke personal 
user interface for your fans. Mm -hmm. So how you use that in the long run is will be up to the artists. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that will be the, I think that will be the linchpin, but that's, uh, that's just my, my guess. And from memory, I think that's what, uh, Zach mentioned when I spoke and spoke to him about singular DTV. I think that was a similar sort of idea. The, the, Mm -hmm giving people not only the tools to distribute, but also the tools to create in the first place. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, that's definitely the the goal is providing as many tools that for them to distribute and create. Okay. Now you've spoken about lots of things you want to do, but kind of for the next six months, what's actually sort of concretely on the the roadmap, your top, top priorities. Yeah. So my top priorities are getting out the DAO by the end of May, which mm-hmm. will include also releasing a new token to all singles holders. So if you hold singles, you'll get a one-to-one token of the governance token, which will then govern the DAO. Um, and that's the first part. And then the second part would will be uh, the open sourcing of the entire protocol. So allowing for uh, true decentralization of the backend. Which, uh, doesn't actually, it, it's, we have like a hybrid version right now and we need to decentralize, um, where, like, specifically metadata of the torrents, where are those held? I think what we'll, we could be using is IPFS or, uh, some other, the, the uh, Ethereum might, uh, have swarm by then. So there's, uh, the road work or the roadmap for that. And then the other part is, uh, creating this mechanism called content mining, but that's more of a two year plan than uh, six months. Yeah. And actually just, uh, I was just clicking around on the artist page whilst you were mentioning some of the aspects there. And there is, you do have um, um, this ability for artists to see, see their data. Um, what, what does that mean for an artist or what will it mean for artists? What, what will they be able to see? So if you actually go to um, singles singlesdao.io, uh, we have a channel on Breaker where we upload all of our uh, calls and talks. And if you scroll down through the page, there's a section that says project call statistics. And on there, it says the following data is provided by Breaker Pro. And so Breaker Pro, which is what where the artists get to see their data, it allows them to see um, the download summaries of all their content they have on the system downloads per IP location. So you can see where all your fans are. Um, and then you can see your ratings and then you can also see daily downloads and all your reviews. So you get to have a dashboard of, um, wh- how your, how your fans are seeing your content in real time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What, just tell me the, 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 the spelling of the Dow thing again. I'm just having uh, DuckDuckGo oh. is auto-correcting it to Singles Day all the time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's S N G L S. Ah, right. S, no vowels. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> D. It's then it's D A O dot yeah, yeah, yeah. I O. Yeah. Ah, okay. right. There we go. And what do you? I mean, I mean, you're obviously very sort of strongly planted in media right now. But where? What other places do you think this may be useful and applicable to? Yeah, um, I think you could see video games. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think you could see fashion houses use it. Um, but that's that's a little bit down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, I mean, music, 
video games, uh, digital art, I mm-hmm. think like, uh, like, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's definitely been a, a few, there's been a few attempts in the past, especially for the digital artwork, um, mm-hmm. on, on the quote unquote blockchain. Um, I, I do wonder like why they weren't successful and why new adventures into it might be. Um, do you think it might be again be a case of they were just like some of these, for example, um, oh God, I'm trying to forget the name now. Um, a scribe um, a couple of years back. Maybe they were just too soon. Um, and now it's starting to make more sense to people and the tooling and the networks are more in place. Uh, you hope, I guess, at least. <laughs> yeah, I, I I definitely think a lot of them were too soon. I think mm. most of those kind of fall into that category because it, we didn't we don't have the we didn't have the tools yet really built for the infrastructure. Mm. Where I think if you look at one of my favorite projects right now is um, Saint Fame DAO, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a uh, it's a clothing house that mm-hmm. releases. It's like an online fashion house, mm-hmm. and uh, it's controlled by a DAO, and mm-hmm. I and they're having great success in what they're doing. And I think that they started off with a really small idea, but they needed to have a lot of the infrastructure built for them where they, they needed someone to create the DAO inter- the, the, a DAO smart contract. And now mm-hmm. they've, you're, they're using that. So you're, you're seeing um, a lot of the community like rally around ideas like that. Mm-hmm. And I think we're probably on the precipice of an explosion of these ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, once we start to see that they're actually viable. Was that actually tying things to a physical product as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating to watch. Okay. All right. The last question I always like to ask is: um, it's a very vague question, I know. Um, is there anything we haven't covered that you want to make sure people know, understand about about Breaker? Um, I think it would be probably more around singles DAO, uh, and so the people understand that this DAO is going to be the governance layer that controls the parameters of the protocol. And we haven't seen that yet. And so if anyone's interested in being able to control uh, globally parameters of a, of a media distribution protocol that anyone can use, um, I would highly recommend you look into our white paper and check out our medium articles. That was my interview with Troy Murray of Breaker. I hope you enjoyed that. Now, I do have some things to update you on. Lots of things still in progress. I have lots of articles in progress <laughs> that you will be able to see soon. I have lots of things in progress. Sometimes doing a weekly show, not much changes between the week. But I've got a few little things to update you on. Bear with me whilst I flick backwards and forwards between a few things. Do tell you about some of them. So first and foremost, I took part as a guest in a uh, roleplay live stream, which was fun. This is Crit Test Dummies. You can find it on Twitch, the episode from last Wednesday. So Wednesday the 15th featured me. I had a good time. We went for nearly four hours. It was quite exhausting at certain points, but it was good fun. Um, I am uh, related to that. I am starting my solo uh, gaming live stream this weekend. I'm not 100% sure of the date yet, but um, keep an eye out on my Twitch channel, Christian Schiller, as always. There's nothing there right now, so, <laughs> so <laughs> it would be very obvious when it is live. Um and following up from that, what else happened last week? 
I've been attending lots and lots of remote conferences. I'm going to write up some of them soon. I haven't always been able to attend as much of the talks as I'd like because they're often starting on Eastern time in the US. So sometimes you don't always get the chance. I was particularly impressed with the uh, React conference and just seeing how you could potentially start to charge for um, online conferences. And I wrote a piece on this very early in the crisis for DZone about uh, kind of um, model for events that may end up happening and it's nice to see some people start to try these ideas actually I was ahead of my time and this conference in particular tried that like having a free core offering but then offering things additional uh, options you could upgrade to uh, like uh, AMAs with speakers and things like that which I found quite an interesting idea I want to see how successful it was for them I also recorded some more stories for the new storytelling uh, podcast. We have edited the first one. The second one I hope to be editing this weekend. Um, so there's progress on that too. I will start publishing some new blog posts, uh, storytelling blog posts that will be recorded for that later, probably uh, over the weekend maybe. I need to figure out where I'm going to publish them actually is the more crucial thing right now. Um, I also started my first office hours for people who want help with documentation. Um, and you can actually, I'm not, I think the best place to find the link right now is on my Twitter profile. It's a pinned, it's a pinned tweet at the top of my Twitter stream to find the link to register for sessions. I'm running them on Wednesday and Friday, um, from sort of European afternoon times. So sort of morning Eastern time in the U S um, I'm not promoting it massively heavily yet because I'm still figuring out lots of things out, but, uh, they will hopefully be uh, coming live soon. And other articles I have in progress. Uh, I attended a uh, briefing with Canonical and Ubuntu on Monday, so there'll be something on the latest versions of Ubuntu very soon. Um, I have um, some bigger articles with some new clients in progress. I have some DZone posts on Grafana in progress and also a write-up of uh, cybersecurity in a pandemic, somewhat related to the critical start interview from a few weeks ago. So lots of things in progress, just waiting for them to be published and to share them with you. You can also see, they were published some time ago, but I didn't actually know, but you can find the links on my website on christianchiller.com. Some blog posts I've been doing for GitLab as well, and there's more of those in progress. And I have lots more in progress, so much in progress, just trying to actually get things sometimes out or remembering to tell you about them, I suppose is sometimes the bigger thing. I'm doing some work on my website as well, tidying up a few things, removing a few ideas that haven't really, um, haven't really realized, adding a few new things, like uh, trying to add some of the places I've been appearing on other people's shows, things like that, but also adding a better space for some of my more creative work, which is, which I'm, which is actually, you know, nearly done. And I'm suddenly realizing I have nowhere to really share it with people. So that's in progress too. So for now, until next time, um, please rate, review, share if you enjoyed the show. Please look at christianchiller.com for more details of all the things I've mentioned. And if you have been, thank you so much for listening and take care. Stay safe.